Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Nick Brackenberry. Nick is the co-founder and CEO of Near Street, a shopping platform that came about as a result of his co-founder's literal light bulb moment, when he needed to buy a light bulb at short notice, but struggled to find one. We discuss the role of belief, committing with a full body yes, listening and acting on instinct, and embracing what Nick calls positive anxiety. He talks about Tim Ferriss' alternative approach to New Year's resolutions and why pursuing the work we love most of all may not in fact be the wisest choice. We also discuss how being a leader enables others to do their best work. We also discuss how being a leader can enable others to do their best work and why Nick rarely plans more than a few years in the future. Nick takes productivity advice with a healthy pinch of salt. It's a telling representation of Nick's belief system that to move forward, we need to get comfortable with imperfection and back ourselves. When you've made big career decisions in the past, how have you, how have you assessed risk? I think when you're, you're figuring out what you want to do and how risky it is, it, is re- it, it really is applying this mindset of like the, the safe path is almost not as safe as you really think it is and that the risky path is not as risky as you probably think it is. And by that, I mean, let's say you're working for one of the world's biggest corporates. Like, if something significant happens in the world, which is prone to happen, uh, as, you know, the last 18 months, 24 months really shows us, um, the the role you're in probably isn't quite as stable and secure as you think it is. And that that's not kind of like a scaremongering thing. That's just the reality of a corporation having to make sure it survives. And the risky path of going out there and trying something usually isn't quite as scary because, you know, you have as a person all sorts of diverse skills, probably many of which you never even realize you have for roles that you probably don't even realize exist. And by going out there and discovering some of these and taking the leap, you'll probably open up many more doors that would have never even been in your consciousness or that you'd even been aware of had you not gone out and taken that risk. So... You know, it's kind of like when you start your career, it's whatever jobs you've heard about in school, being a lawyer, a doctor, you know, a banker, uh, all the roles that you have in a startup, for example, you never know about when you leave school. These roles that are, are super cool and really interesting, but they're not going to appear on kind of like your high school or your university career site. Um, and so I think that's why the risky path probably isn't as risky because it'll actually open up so many more doors to you and so many more things that... Um, you'd never thought of. And I, I think that's why when thinking about risk, it's like, well, actually, maybe it's a little bit scary leaving something that's secure and, and you know, stable, but actually you open so many other doors that were never previously opened to you that that's probably de-risking rather than adding risk. Um, I suppose you can think, you know, if you got 
20 years into your career and have only done one thing. And that's very common in, in older generations, but in this generation, that might actually make it harder to move more often if you've just done 20 years all in the same place. And so kind of exploring and discovering things feels actually like the less risky option. I'm sure that's something that we've all experienced, having parents or grandparents look at our own career trajectory and wonder why we're moving so often. And um, perhaps it's in some way because they were in a different time to us where change was less apparent to them so when they made that risk calculation it was the it was a it was a different equation to make yeah and, and i guess we didn't have tools like the internet tools like cord back in their generation as well so kind of discovering and finding out what was out there was much harder whereas now it's much more like okay you can go on that journey and explore much more easily as well how do you know when you're making a decision and you're let's say you're taking one of those risks I guess inherent in the risk is that it could both go really wrong and it could also go really right where you perhaps realise the things that you didn't know and then you're able to pursue pursue that. Um, is there a particular framework or way of thinking that you've developed where you've been able to optimise that risk for, I guess, exposure and awareness of the things that you're not doing versus the what could go wrong? So I, I think it's very simple. Um, and it's, maybe it sounds too simplistic, but it's something that uh, myself and my brother have always kind of told each other all the way through our lives. And that is very simply to, to back yourself in these decisions. And by that, I mean, when you're weighing up a difficult decision, like lots of people have lots of different ways of doing it. I'm quite an analytical person. I'll make like a, you know, I'll just make a list of things that I enjoy, things I don't like and want to do less of, things I think I'm good at, things I don't think I'm good at but can work on. Like there's lots of different ways you can try and weigh it up, but it will never really help you make the big scary decision, right? Like it just helps you think through it, but ultimately you still have to have some emotive input that makes you take a big, scary, risky decision. And so the, the I, I don't even know if you can call it a framework, but the approach I use is like, look at it and just think like, do you back yourself? And the answer should always be yes. Like you do back yourself to do the big scary thing. And if you then take that, then taking these leaps can seem so much easier. And, you know, do the lists, do the pros and cons, do the, you know, stuff I'm good at, stuff I'm not good at. Um, but ultimately, I think it comes down to like an emotive decision when you've got to do something scary. It's like you have all the information, but ultimately you as a human being have got to make the decision. Uh, and that's why I think just back yourself, like believe you can do it, know you can do it. And, uh, you know, the worst that comes out is that you fail and you learn a lot along the way. Is it that you should back yourself in any decision or is it that you should back yourself only on the paths or the decisions that are resonating most with you yeah I, I think if it's something that's like um people often talk about like a full body yes where it's like this is this is something that you know you want to do and like i need to do this thing but then it's often that like prompt of how do you then take that leap to to make that decision um uh, and that's the hard bit and I really struggle with that too. You know, as I say, I'm a very analytical person, so I'll analyze the hell out of big decisions and try and find 
frameworks and processes, and they really help. But ultimately, it's 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 got to come from some sort of belief. Uh, and that's not to say, you know, there are definitely decisions where you don't want to have a naive belief. Like, as much as I would love to quit my job and become a pro surfer right now, um, let's be honest, <laughs> I've maybe surfed for two weeks in my life, and I'm 33, nearly 34, so that's maybe as much as I would love to do that, that's probably a bit of an irrational one. But I think in the ones that, you know, you understand well, you've done your diligence, you've done your work, ultimately, when it comes to making the decision, and you've got the information there, it's it's going to be one that just has to come from, from belief in yourself. Here's the words, belief and full body, yes. Mm. And they're both terms that are, they almost like transcend the moment they are in some way greater than the specific detail that you're working through. You're listening to your your whole body and you're, you're kind of utilising some kind of belief system or faith. Is that deliberate? I think as, as humans, we... We have a lot of like our, our, I guess what you'd call instinct that is based on lots and lots of inputs gathered over your whole life. And you're not, in some ways we're really bad, but also we're better than we think at interpreting those. It's that sort of like, you know, when you're in an uneasy situation, you're not sure why, but you're like, something about this doesn't feel right. And you have no idea why, but something that your body's captured has taught you that. Um, hopefully not just watching too many scary films and it's an irrational one, but usually it's pretty good. Um, but I think that can also be applied for these, these sorts of decisions where it's, you've, you have so much information that you've probably synthesized to try and work out like, you know, the, let's say the salary of a job isn't quite what you think, but it's in a really cool location that you'd love to live in, but it's a bit far from your parents who you want to see more often. And can your partner move there as well? but your boss is going to be really awesome. But do you believe that the startup really has the runway to go where you think it is? But you see this market's emerge, like there's so many inputs that are like on each side. It's some way you have to, to, to go with kind of like, um, you know, do you really believe in this? Do you believe in yourself um, to take it? Um, because it's, it's, it's almost impossible to know truly what's going to, you're trying to predict the future, right? Um, and no one can do that mm. as much as we'd love to have crystal balls. Although I don't think we would because it would make the future really boring. What time frame do you use to make decisions? Uh, what kind of decision, I guess? like Where you're deciding to allocate your time and those moments where you... Um, I guess that's a good question, though, because actually I think you could have... There are, there are different types of decisions that you need to make in your working journey. So you might have a moment where you make a decision to change the environment that you're in or the culture that you're in, but the skills will stay the same. And you'll be doing roughly the same job. You just want it to be slightly refreshed, perhaps. Yeah. Or there might be a moment where you make a career transition, perhaps. So they would typically be, I think, the two, the two core ones that you'd make. For myself personally, it's over a few months. But then when you actually get to making the decision, I think it should be no more than like a week or two of time. So by that, I mean, when you start thinking about these things, they're probably pretty nebulous, right? It's like, okay, what do I want to do? How should I start thinking about this? And you'll go into a bit of a phase where it's like, what what do I need to know? What do I need to think about? Who do I need to talk to, to, to make this real and 
what that looks like for each person will be different. Some people, that's a lot of, you know, just going out on the internet and Googling and discovering. Other people, it might just be talking to loads and loads of people. But there's got to be this, like, filling the bucket with information to help you understand the thing you're going to do. But then at some point, that bucket will be full and overflowing. It's that kind of, like, there'll be more inputs than you can possibly use. But it would be very easy to then just keep adding more information. And I, I'm really bad for this unless I then take this second step, which is then you then got to give yourself some period of time to then make the decision uh, and probably publicly commit to, to that, you know, with a few, whether it's, you know, a close family member or friends or something like that. But it's like I've got to commit to making this decision by a certain point in time. Otherwise, it's very easy to just keep gathering information, keep gathering information. So um, like for me, I would normally do that. When I'm thinking about big decisions about our, our business, I'll try and do it over a time where I'm actually disconnected from the business for a week or something. So it's like there's a moment for reflection, but I know there's a, a, a clock on that, that it's like, okay, you've got a week to sit on this, give yourself some clear headspace, and then decide and tell someone that you're going to do that as well. So there's some commitment. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, there's two parts to it. That There's kind of like a few months of going from initial idea to having the perspectives and information you want, but then at some point you've got to then condense that down and say, by X date, mm. you know, a week or two away, I'm going to have actually made a decision. Yeah. How did you make the decision to start in the industry? So this, this kind of goes back to the safe path not being as safe as you think and the risky path not being as risky as you think. Um, so my, my co-founder, Max, had, had pitched me this idea, this literal light bulb moment, um, where he was sitting at home about to have some friends over for dinner and the light bulb went in his living room and he sort of Googled it and Google told him all these places to get it delivered the next day. And he's like, this must be in stock somewhere nearby. So he ended up wandering around his local neighborhood and eventually found it in a store 100 meters from his front door. And he's like, how is this so hard to figure out that it's in this shop just down the road and so easy to figure out it's in some warehouse hundreds of miles away? Like, that's that, that's ridiculous. Uh, and so I'd sat on this for a few months and I, I'd been working on the grad scheme at, at um, or I'd come just, I was a year or two out of, from the grad scheme at Ogilvy, which is one of the world's kind of best and most prestigious ad agencies. So I'd been there like five years, was with an amazing team, uh, had an incredible boss that was kind of growing this new digital experiences capability really, really quickly. But this kind of idea that he put in my head was niggling at me. Uh, and I kind of had been researching it, trying to find out, like, who's doing this? Like, is this a really big idea? And what started to really eat away at me was I'm on this awesome career path. And I'm kind of like, uh, to, to avoid using a startup cliche, I'm on like a rocket ship with an amazing boss and an amazing team that's just going from strength to strength. But I can also see kind of what the next five or 10 years of my career looks like here. Like it's a little bit less each year of the grunt work. It's a little bit more of like the the decision making and being in the big meetings and going on the cool client trips and all that. Um, but it's basically just like a seesaw that's going from like menial work to big decision work, but it's basically the same work. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, I'm, that's fine. And I get paid a bit more every year, but it's, it's very predictable. Like I basically can see what the next five or 10 years of my life look like. And I'm going to be acquiring new management skills, but I'm not actually going to be learning much more than is like just on a very predictable learning path. 
And I looked at this opportunity and I thought, like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm in my late 20s. I've saved some money, but not like a ridiculous amount. And right now the opportunity is put that down as some deposit on a house and get that locked in as like, okay, that's a, a, a giant ball and chain I've now got to lug around. Or I can quit this, have a crack at this for six months and see if it goes anywhere. And if nothing, like I've learned a ton along the way, um, it's something that I really believe is going to happen and is going to define the future of how we think about shopping. And it seems like a moment that's really changing in the industry. So I'm going to meet a bunch of smart, interesting people. I don't know who they'll be. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what doors it'll open, but I'm definitely going to learn a lot over the next six months if the whole thing blows up and doesn't work. And if it goes longer than that, I'll, I'll learn even more. Um, and so it was that kind of like the risky path then didn't seem so risky. And the safe path was like, well, it doesn't feel so safe. I'm just going to be doing the same thing. And, you know, that, and by the way, I should say for some people, that's great. That's also a career that they're very happy with. And there's no, nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's also like, if you're thinking, I don't want to try the risky thing because this safe option seems so safe and I'm scared to try the risky thing. It's, it's, it's not that risky. So yeah, that's, that was kind of the, the framework that I came at it with. Reminds me of so many different themes that we all read about and try and take in, but sometimes struggle to apply to our decision-making. Like you could take a kind of Carol Dweck, like growth mindset to it and Mm. say what you're doing is you're optimizing for your growth mindset there, or you could take a kind of finite game versus like an infinite game and say like actually the decision you're making there is to be, to enter into like an infinite game. And you're, you're trying to be a, you're kind of trying to practice like conscious leadership by rather than focusing on the, on something that isn't truly growth, you're embracing learning somehow. It's almost as if you're managing to transcend the kind of tit for tat type decisions that you're making or like the, the specifics of the scenario and instead try and find a kind of a deeper trend that whatever happens, even if it goes wrong, you've latched yourself onto somehow. Yeah, I think that's a, a really a really good way of framing it. And while he's not someone I aspire to be like um, as a person and a leader in many regards, um, particularly given we're a retail tech startup, but I find it fascinating how someone like Jeff Bezos makes decisions, which is where this is like, there's this internet thing happening and I don't fully understand everything about it, but it's definitely a thing that's happening. And I want to be on that wave. And, you know, not everyone's going to catch the wave, but if I can get on it early, it's going to be a hell of a ride and I'm going to learn so much. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, that was also part of what we looked at here is like that the high street is going through such a moment of transformation. And that can look like a lot of destruction, but off the back of that destru- destruction comes a lot of amazing opportunities to build a better future for it as kind of cheesy and cliche as that sounds and no one knows exactly what that's going to look like and we've had to pivot the business on that journey in quite a significant way um, at least once but it's also like it's definitely happening and it's like cool like let's be a part of this um, and play you know some small or hopefully large part in that when we assess pros and cons when we make this decision i think the typical way that we would go about doing it would be to look at the pros, what could go right, and then the cons, what could go wrong. And it sounds like you 
almost imagined that the worst case scenario as the as the base level mm. and then you looked at the pros and cons of of it all going wrong was that a conscious decision um <laughs> i i definitely look at worst case scenarios because i find that that while it can be a little bit morbid they're usually again never as bad as you really think and if you go back to this principle of backing yourself it's also like i'm pretty sure i can get myself out of this mm. so yeah I've, I've never thought of it as like a base case to to build from but actually it's a really interesting way of framing it is saying like yeah that's if this is the floor that you're building up from actually it's not such a scary floor to build from when you're when you're at that moment where you're making the decision so let's say that you've you've gone through it you've you're looking at the pros and cons of the worst case scenario yeah um you said a, a phrase earlier which was like you want to have a full body yes mm-hmm. how do you when you're when you're being hit by all of these inputs how do you listen to your body in that moment i find it's like it's it's kind of like that thing where you almost have a little bit of, I can only describe it as like positive anxiety, where you you really want to do something and you're almost trying to talk yourself out of it in some sort of way. Um, it's But you know you really, really want to do the thing. But you're, you're there almost like saying like, ah, is there is there a reason I should not? Like, is, is there any reason that should not I shouldn't do this? And when you start asking yourself that question, that's kind of like, you think, no, like if I'm now trying to like find reasons not to and to, like to somehow, yeah, talk myself out of it is the best way I would describe it. That's when I think you're at a point where it's like, okay, this is probably the right thing to do. Um, you've... You've got to a point now where you're not yet made the decision, but you're you're there like, is, is there any reason not to do this thing? To, to go on this trip, to make this leap, to make this decision? Uh, and that that's that's probably the best way. And then there's, I'm sure there's, you know, there's all the actual feelings that you get that come with that, you know, some level of nervousness, probably a, a large level of elation and relief once you've actually made the decision. Um, but kind of coming up to it, it's almost... I guess, you know, if you're a stage actor just before going on stage, but in that really positive sense of like, okay, here we go. Um, and then that kind of, and how that expresses them in everyone, I'm sure is different, but that's, that's probably how, how I'd think about it. And how do you get to the, the depth of that? Because it's one thing trying to figure through those emotions and figure out whether the anxiety that you're experiencing is negative or positive. Mm. And then there's another thing, which is like just kind of practically speaking how are you getting to that level like what are you doing to to consciously deliberately listen to your body and your emotions and your feelings there so for me personally it's it's a combination of trying to enable like free thought and then writing it down and giving it some structure so by free thought i mean for me i'm a very outdoors active kind of person so I go running a lot, I go cycling a lot, I go swimming quite a bit. And when you're doing some of the easier sessions, they're quite good moments to just like let your mind wander without any real specific direction. But just let it, you know, let it go off and, and do its thing and just think about everything. You know, you, don't, you can't, when you're riding a bike, you can't have like a list of agenda points you want to think through. Uh, as much as you'd love to, it's, it's not going to happen. 
but it is a good chance to just to try and think through things. But then, okay, now how do you bring this back and start capturing it and writing it down? Um, and at first, maybe that's really unstructured, and that's just you know mind maps or it's just scribbling thoughts down on paper or phrases. Um, phrases are often things that stick with me when something really resonates that I've just thought. It's like, okay, try and hang on to that phrase because it really feels like a great summation of everything I've been thinking about in the last half hour, and it'll trigger me to think about it again. And so when I get back from these things, or you know, it can even just be on, on a notepad on your phone, but it's just start to write it down. And then I find once it's in written form, these things start to hang together a little bit better. And so that's how I kind of build up to it, is, is making sure you have the space for that kind of free, unstructured thought, which is where I think a lot of creativity happens. Uh, and I'm sure some scientists far smarter than I am can probably explain why the brain does that and, and operates in that way. But um, I guess that's why they say lots of people's best ideas come to them in the shower. You know, it's brains half switched on, but not at full capacity. And um, sounds, sounds like that CPU time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so giving it, giving yourself the freedom without kind of an agenda. It's kind of like it's quite a creative process if you think about it. And the worst way to be creative is to give yourself uh, a really formal, rigid like time to be creative. So you know, if I'm like Ben, you need to be creative right now. Get started, please. It's like, oh God, that's that's. That is the worst environment to try and get you to come up with novel new ideas. I need to think of five new ideas right now. Get started. You have 10 minutes. You know, it's, it's uh, maybe this happens in workshops sometimes, but it's like it doesn't really foster creativity. You need to have that freedom, but then you need to do something about it. You need to actually say, okay, this is great that it's all swimming around in my head and I've had all these interesting thoughts and ideas. Now, how do I start to put them down and put them into some sort of structure that you can then build from and, and work from and and you know, in a startup environment, I guess it would be like the the post-it organization phase of of generating ideas where it's like, what are the themes that are coming out in this? Like, where are the things that, the clustering of ideas um, and how do I try and make sense of them? Is understanding your own motivations behind all these decisions something that you've deliberately thought about? Uh, yes, not before them, though. Because I find if, if you try and overanalyze yourself or not overanalyze that's probably the wrong word if you try and like reflect on why you're doing something in the moment that you're doing it i find it's quite hard it's it's much easier to kind of reflect on it afterwards and try and learn from that and take it forwards than like reflect in the moment so like um if, if you're there saying like why am i really doing this like why do i need this change like what what is it that's driving this you can definitely do it but i find it's quite hard to get to a good answer until after the fact, and then you can learn something about yourself after the fact. But doing it in the moment, I personally find really difficult. I'm sure some people are more in touch with themselves and better at reading it in real time, but uh, I find it's much better and easier to reflect after the fact. And do you ever do any prep beforehand? And I guess I, I ask this more like on a personal level, like in order to make these types of decisions and to have that full body emotion and that full body yes, you've and and to have the confidence that you've had to be able to make these big decisions mm. when you've got a wonderful boss and and yeah. so many other people would be so envious of that scenario that has to come from a certain place of um confidence in your own motivation and it, is it something that you're that you have been aware of in the past and and thought about deliberately what is what is motivating you underneath all this uh yes i have i, I actually find it quite hard to get to an answer 
Um, and we actually ask candidates a version of this question uh, when they're interviewing with us, which is, you know, like, how does working at Near Street get you closer to somewhere you want to be in the future? And I actually find it a difficult question to ask answer for myself, but it's also deliberately like not where do you want to be in five years or 10 years, but just like where do you see yourself going now? Because I think we change so much as people through our lives and also as new opportunities come up and the world changes around us that when you're thinking about it in advance, it's it's I find it really, really hard. But what I do find is having just a really good understanding of the just the core types of activities and conversations and uh, reading, you know, the things that you find really interesting, just try and understand what it is about those that gives you energy. Um, I find that's really useful. So I started doing um, something recommended by Tim Ferriss, actually, uh, called a past year review at the end of each year. So instead of setting New Year's resolutions, uh, which are, yeah, doomed almost from the start, what he advocates doing is going through your calendar and actually your photo reel on your phone because uh, they're now all organized by date and just go through those and just week by week for each week of the year, just note down anything that gave you particularly strong and positive energy and things that you found really draining on your energy. And ju- just think about it as, you know, that I came out of that week buzzing or I came out of that activity or that day buzzing and oh, this thing was like... Phew, like that week really took it out of me and just write it down at the end of each year and then just go through that list. You can probably fit it on like one piece of paper and just look at the things in there and just be like, what, like, what are the commonalities between the things that, that really gave me a lot of energy and what are the commonalities between the things that really drained it? And that will probably tell you a lot about yourself that just looking at these really basic things can really help you in understanding yourself. And then from there, I think it's much easier to get to like, okay, what do I, what do I want to be doing? I want to be doing more of this and less of this. And what does that now look like from the kind of work I want to be doing? Uh, And so I found that very helpful rather than trying to like, just think about myself and what gives me energy. Because if I think about myself and what gives me energy, it'll be, you know, it'll be biking, it'll be hiking. And I'm like, okay, these are great. I, I could try and do something with them. But like, what, like, what, what was it actually about them that was giving me energy? Um, so I find that that's quite a helpful process. Why don't you go and bike and hike all day? <laughs> um, it, it kind of actually goes back to a similar reason to why I left Ogilvy, which is I actually started my career as a ski instructor. Um, you know, I finished school, I went and trained for for a few months and I've skied my whole life and started working as a ski instructor for a year. And then throughout uni, I went and probably did like six or eight weeks work every year out in the Alps. And I really thought about it and, and I love the mountains and I love skiing more than anything. But I also looked at it and thought this kind of, the longer I do this, the more specific my skill set becomes to doing just that one thing. And it becomes harder and harder for me to do other things. And do I know in myself that I definitely want to do just this one thing for the rest of my life? And I really, really love it. But would I, would I only want to be doing this for the rest of my life? Um, and the longer I go down that path without opening myself up to other opportunities, the more likely that becomes as like, well, that now is, is harder and harder to, to have other options available to you. Um, and so, so that's, that was part of it. And then the other part is this idea of doing what you love. 
And if you're not careful, doing what you love can make you fall out of love with it if you do it, you know, for too long or you're not good enough at it versus doing what you're really, really good at. And then you'll probably find you get a lot of energy from that. We all generally enjoy succeeding and being good at stuff. And so I also thought, like, is there a risk that I stop loving this thing that gives me so much energy and joy versus trying to discover stuff where I can make a really big impact on the world or the people around me and do that? And it's probably not going to be skiing, um, but it's probably going to be something else that I'm good at that maybe I don't even realize I'm good at. And let's try and find what that is, because I'll get a lot of energy from really succeeding and and helping other people succeed. How would you assess that against someone who might say, kind of like, how can you get good at something you don't love? I don't think it's a case of, um, I think if you're really good at something and you really just, you really don't like it, uh, that's one thing. Um, I definitely, you know, maybe I could get good at, the amount of time as a founder you spend reading legal documents um, and, you know, maybe that's something I could actually get quite good at is unpicking them, but I really, really don't like it, even though I think I could probably be quite good at it. So that's like, okay, I'm, I'm never going to get good at that because I'm never ever really going to want to put the time in, even though I think I probably could on a technical level get there. So I think there's got to be within reason, some base level of like, okay, this is something that's interesting to me. Um, it's maybe not riding mountain bikes or skiing, but it's interesting. Um, and if I invest some time in this, I can, I can actually get really good at it. And then that's going to be very motivating. As you talk, I'm, I'm like, I have, it's, I have so much respect for kind of the, the part of Nick that like, isn't the romantic. <laughs> <laughs> like you're very brave not to just follow your, your love and your passion there. It's almost as if the kind of. There is a there is a part that's saying there is a part that's that's almost um it's not it doesn't sound like it's restricting, but it's optimizing for the for a longer term Nick rather than the kind of short term in the moment Nick. Like the path that I'm on right now as you know, a, a CEO and a founder of a startup is you'll know there's a lot of really messy, challenging stressful things to do but you can also enable so many other people to do such great work and do really amazing things which gives me a lot of energy and makes all the very difficult pieces really worthwhile and the outcome of that is it also enables me to do more things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do or could yeah, could have otherwise done that genuinely do give me a lot of energy. Um, and it opens up things that are are just really, really joyous and, yeah, f just fill you and top up your energy batteries that you couldn't get by focusing just on the near-term things of doing the things that you just really enjoy in the near-term, even if in the near-term they are more enjoyable. And so, that you know, I, I think that's part of life, isn't it? Like to grow, you have to you have to go through some discomfort. You have to go through diff difficult things that you're maybe not comfortable with, but it then gets you kind of onto a higher level. I guess it's almost like the very basics of fitness that you sort of, if, mm. if you're, you're training, the idea is uh, go through some level of pain so that you know your muscles or your endurance or whatever probably goes down in the near term, but to then go up in the long term as you break stuff down and then build it back up again, and you'll end up in a much higher, more motivating, more interesting place. What's been the most painful? 
part of your working journey so far? I'd probably say um, when we had to pivot the business, uh, this was 2017, there's a realization that a lot of the team you've built will have to be let go. And a lot of the work you've done that, that these people have all done is actually going to be parked and trying to find the right way to communicate that and do that in a way where it's like, look, your work isn't for nothing. It's actually set the foundations for the future that we're now building, but this is a different future to the one that we, well, the, the vision is very much the same, but the future is a little bit, it's in a, it's in a different kind of path to get to the end goal. And, you know, that's really tough because people have invested their time and their energy in making this, this vision and this future and this, this idea possible. And it's like, okay, we're, we're going to, you know, shift course here. Uh, and that, that I found really difficult. And the great thing is, I, I think everyone we had to, to let go, actually, it was very, very positive in the end. Uh, and I'm not saying this to just try and gloss it over. Like, I think everyone, because we're very open, understood that and they saw why it had to happen. Um, but it doesn't make it any less like, okay, you know, everyone's put their energy and their, their time and their commitment and, you know, a lot of hard hours into this. And now we're kind of going in a different direction with it. So I, I definitely found that a really, really difficult process. And on a personal level, that's when you're doing an energy audit and you look back on that experience, though it is something that is required of you in that moment to make that decision i'm sure you didn't go into the end of that week feeling feeling buzzing or no not at all in some way absolutely not at all but i think you also can then take something from it because you you what i took from that is there are it's impossible for every company in every industry everywhere to grow all the time um it's just not a reality and so you kind of have to accept like, okay, at some point, it's very likely I'm going to have to either let go or fire people in the future. It's just like a fact of, of growing a company and you try and minimize it as much as possible. You try and lower the odds that you'll ever have to do that to make sure you always hire the right people, but you're going to have to do it. And so instead you think, well, how can I learn to do this in the best possible way so that the people that come out of this actually come out of it really, really positive when so often... This will probably happen, you know, it might happen to everyone at some point in their life, but it'll happen to a meaningful number of people that this happens in some way. How can we make sure that we're one of the really good ones at this rather than one of the ones where it's very traumatic and difficult for people? And then that becomes quite motivating. So it's like, okay, it's never going to be pleasant. These things are never enjoyable. But actually, if we can be one of the ones that makes this part of, of companies and part of startup building a really positive thing, then we're making some sort of positive impact here. What impact did that have, that experience have on you later on? Like, How did it inform your own working journey in the months and years since? It's a good question. I think we, I think it kind of shifted our mindset from being not just a startup, but a, a company and a business as well. Because when you're, you know, that was relatively early in the company. And at that point, it's like lots and lots and lots of ideation and experimentation and let's try all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're really like a, a family as a team when you're super early and that's small. And that's awesome. 
uh, and it allows you to do all sorts of things. But you also, you realize for everyone there, you also have to make it a business to make it work. Um, and you have to then try and be mindful that these two ideas are, uh, one kind of leads to the other often, but it's quite hard to run them both at the same time. And so for me, it was really that moment of like, okay, we have to start thinking about this, not just as a family and a bunch of friends that are building something as, you know, a group of six or eight of us or, or 12 at that point. Um, but also we have to think about this as a company, because as much as this can be a really fun project that everyone's on, if it doesn't work as a business, um, all these great things we can do as a culture and as a place where everyone's having a great time doing super cool stuff is kind of for nothing if you can't sustain it. Um, and it really made me reflect and think a lot about like, how do you square those two ideas that you want this to be an amazing place to work, but you also don't want to make it so much that it's like, um, you don't want to kind of shift into it being purely like a family thing. And, uh, you know, it's a bunch of friends just doing a project together as great as that is. And that, that was again, really difficult to square. Cause it's like, how do you keep all the good bits, but also bring in the bits that are much more like a business to make sure it's viable in the long run. Um, cause otherwise all the good bits are for nothing if you can't actually make it work as a business. Parallels between the decision that you've made to leave Ogilvy, Ogilvy and start near street, um, as opposed to the pivot that you made it, the, the two, there are some parallels between the two. It seems like on the one hand, you're having to deal with this sunken cost fallacy mm. where you've invested in a really decent period of time into something, but then you're also having to optimize for this longer term goal that exists in the future. And you're trying to figure out the path to get there. Um, did it feel like there were parallels in your decision-making when you, when you made the two and were there any others that, that we haven't noticed it didn't at the time but on reflection absolutely you know it's it's at the time i think you're so in you're so in the moment and it's very easy to you know lose the wood for the trees and yeah it, you end up just so in kind of up to your eyeballs and figuring out everything that needs to happen to get somewhere and just trying to have these different decision-making processes just run through and figure out almost impossible decisions. But then after the fact, definitely, you know, it's one of these things in hindsight, you'd always think like, oh, I wish I'd, I'd kind of made this kind of more structured approach to this thing or applied this framework earlier to that. Um, but I think that's also just part of having a growth mindset is like, you can only ever look back and learn from it and think next time I should definitely do this, but taking that time to reflect and then think, okay, I can now apply this to future, to future decisions. And it makes it that bit easier. And it's not that you will every time you'll definitely forget in the future. Uh, Cause sometimes you don't even know you're in that same moment. You know, you don't recognize that you're, you don't recognize where you are often until after the fact, but just doing it over again and just trying to be conscious about it, I think really, really helps. How do you decouple your, working journey now from the company's journey i try once a year to go through and look at like what i really want to be doing and this this kind of past year review um that that tim ferris does i find really helps because that's you know am i still getting the energy i want from this um am i being able to do and achieve the things i want to do in life and do i do i believe that the the company's going to enable me to do that because that's really important still as well uh, and every year I've gone through that and the answer has always come out was like, yes, absolutely. It, it, there's a lot of tough things in this, but it's 
it enables me to, to grow and do a whole bunch of interesting things and meet and work with a whole bunch of really amazing, interesting people that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. Um, and that's taking that moment once a year to, to decouple it, I find is really important because when, when you're within the year and when you're within, you know, the day-to-day -day work, they're absolutely, as a founder, it's one and the same, you know, it's, it's the company and your success are directly tied to one another. And there have been periods earlier in the company where I've gone like two, three years on the trot just without ever decoupling the two and just being like, particularly in the earlier days of the company, it's just one and the same thing. And I don't think that's super healthy because then it's like a, uh, this must work at all costs, um, whether, and, and I don't think that's a smart or a healthy way to look at it because then it's just, it's, you know, whether it's good for you or the company, I think the two are, are tied together. And if you're just like, working yourself to the bone just to make it work for the sake of making it work, then it, it, it helps no one, you know, yourself or the company included. So probably for the last two or three, um, no, it must be the last two years now, um, since the pandemic started, each winter I've kind of taken a bit of time to reflect and just think about, like, what do I want to be doing? And does that align with the company? Uh, and the good news is we're still sat here talking today. Um, and they, they absolutely, there's so much opportunity and so many exciting things, but you do have to t step back and take stock of them. What time period do you use to look out and make that decision? So I guess not necessarily the time period that you use in the moment and the kind of the, the weeks with which you make that decision, but when you're doing that year review and you're reflecting, one of the things that I think is so difficult is we we kind of know intuitively that we should be thinking about the long term, but the long term is like well, the world is changing so quickly. What does long term mean, and and how far out am I looking? Um, right. How how what does long term mean to you? And do you use long term? You may use a short term or a medium term. Yeah, I I don't think I really look long term, um, but it, as you were asking the question, I was thinking like, what would long term actually mean for me? You know. The, default number that popped up in my head was just 10 years but um i find it strange thinking if i go back 10 years where was i when i was you know 23 almost 24 and it's like wow okay that's a very very different place to be it doesn't seem that long ago but actually it's a it's a really long time ago um i think the time horizon i look at is in the next three or four years, would I still be happy if I was doing the same thing that I was doing today? Uh, and invariably, there's always a part of that that's no. And then it's like, okay, well, what do you need to change to make sure that that actually becomes a yes? So, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't look out any more than kind of a few years ahead just because I, I, I find it so hard to think about, like, what would me in my mid-40s want to be doing? Um, mm. It's like, what will the world look like in my mid-40s? You know, it's 20, 2032. Like that's, I, I can't even imagine what it looks like at that point. So um, yeah, I never really think more than kind of a few years out. But I think that's also where having just some principles of things that, you know, you, you won't keep working in something that doesn't keep you happy and keep you motivated and give you energy. You're not going to do things that don't align with your values and you know, people that don't align with that. And I think if you've got that as a basis that you're saying, okay, I'm going to work and I need to make sure that these things are all true, then it makes these other decisions and directions a little bit less scary because you're not trying to optimize for kind of some goal that you're kind of not really equipped to set yourself. Um, but as long as you know, well, I need to be doing the things that keep these really important things true for me, then great. 
you know, it makes it a lot easier to think, how can I just make sure the things I'm doing today and in the next year keep these things true and, and help make the things that are maybe not as true as I'd like them to be, um, make them true again or more true than they are today. It sounds like you that's coming from this place of, and it, it is absolutely the case that our ideals, our ambitions are kind of, they're almost like, virtuous perfections that they're they are things that are we wouldn't be searching for them if we didn't look at them and just see them as perfect and uh the thing that we want to strive for um one of the hardest bits about ambitions perhaps is that you you really look at the pros and cons of an ambition and you just see the pros and it feels like something that's that that thing that's perfection and you inevitably have to make this kind of unwanted compromise in the here and now that it's what you will be doing there are there are some things that are that truth that you'll be you'll enjoy today but some things that won't be how do you kind of as someone who is ambitious and someone who wants to achieve those ideals how do you live with yourself that you're not part of that perfection (laughs) um meditation definitely helps um and and mindfulness practice that is like just being comfortable and aware of what's happening in the present moment and not just only ever trying to think about you know either ruminating on the past or 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 trying to imagine and think about and worry about the future um and i think just it's also being comfortable that like no one absolutely no one has it nailed and perfect and i don't think that it exists and just being comfortable with that so it's kind of like um, i remember it was a year or two ago I was reading one of these many different blogs on, I forget if it was for founders or just for people in startups or, or just generally people working in tech. But it was like, you know, how to stay healthy and optimize your day. And you went through this and it was like, make sure you get eight hours sleep. Make sure you have three good meals. Make sure you allow this amount of time for support. And you went through the blog and you looked at it and you're like, someone's got to extend the day to 28 hours for this to work. Like, these are great, and I love everything in here. But if you actually pause to read the different sections and put them together, this person literally is suggesting a 28-hour day. So, like, and they're saying this should be your daily routine. You're like, it doesn't add up. Uh, And I I just remember smiling at the time and thinking this actually sums up so much of, like, life advice or productivity advice or... You know, pick your your blog. Generally, if it, if it's five things that all start with the same letter, just don't read the blog um, because it's an oversimplification of probably a much more nuanced and uh, almost unsolvable problem or unsolvable challenge. And just being comfortable that it's like you're never going to optimize this thing, and don't ever assume that everyone around you has optimized or even some of the people or even the best two percent or one percent of the people have solved this. Just kind of assume. You know, like, I don't think Elon Musk has, like, optimized how his days work. I'm sure, I'm sure he's pretty good at it, but I also don't think he's there. Like, you read this blog of, like, the five E's of excellence from Elon Musk and how he achieves 28 hours work in a 24-hour day. And it's like, well, you know, he's not going to be nailing it. He's just very, very good. So just be comfortable that no one else is, is nailing it perfectly, so you don't have to either. I love breaking down how you've made decisions. <laughs> Just be comfortable with imperfection and back yourself. Thank you so much for sharing it. Uh, You're welcome. It's, It's a lot of fun as well.
The Best Work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.